Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. Uh, in today's episode, you'll learn how to prepare for the coming wave of automation in digital advertising and how you can make your work more human and more creative and not less. Uh, so my guest today is, according to my very good friend, Andre Chaperon, one of the top paid traffic specialists in the world, or as my guest himself would say, well, I've been around long enough to have made more mistakes than almost everyone else, um, which is interesting because I can feel that my guest is very humble, very honest uh, with himself, and I think we're going to get along quite well. Uh, he's the owner and president of Barn Dawn Media, a website design and digital marketing agency based in Vermont, the USA, US of A, um, for the last 20 years. And he has worked with clients for more than a decade, some of them, uh, which is a lot in internet years, right? Um, <laughs> so Sean Twing, uh, welcome aboard. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So. People might feel overwhelmed, you know, about all of the, the talks about automation and, you know, robotization and the fact that robots and automation is going to replace our jobs and everything, especially in the marketing world, right? Um, so you specialize, I mean, we're going to talk about paid traffic in particular, uh, in this podcast. So before I, I, we dive in into the topic of automation and how to prepare for it a bit, can you define briefly what paid traffic is? Sure. So um, there are you know, any number of ways that you can pay for traffic. You can pay for it in time, energy, dollars. Uh, when I talk about paid traffic, I'm thinking about those areas where we're exchanging dollars for visitors. Uh, and the two biggest ones are certainly AdWords, uh, Search and Display, and then Facebook. Um, I've been doing AdWords really since, I, I don't know, since dinosaur years, um, just because it's been around longer. Um, and then Facebook has become increasingly robust. Interestingly, most clients who come to us now come for Facebook instead of AdWords. Um, but in that, paid traffic is any time that we're saying we are willing to pay X amount for somebody to view content, to uh, be exposed to our brand, whatever it is. Um, it's the direct exchange of dollars for that attention as opposed to indirect exchange, which might be like organic search optimization. That's still paid too, unless you're doing it yourself. And even then you're paying with your time. So um, there isn't a lot of traffic that's free. So it's also defined like pay-per-click type of uh, yeah, pay -per -click, advertising. Paper impression, sure. Yeah. Anytime that you're willing to say that I am, you know, I have $1 and I would like X in response uh, well, most likely not a dollar anymore, uh, but that I'm willing to pay X for either a lead or a, a purchase or a view or something that you're putting a direct numerical value on. I consider that paid traffic and the two big players are AdWords and Facebook. And so you actually come from a time where you started AdWords at this infancy, like donkey years ago, right? And at this stage, you could pay for a link. <laughs> you could pay for a click for like, what, one cent or like half a cent, the good old days, right? Wild days, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we say the good old days, they weren't that good. I mean, we got a lot of traffic for cheap, but the tools that we have now are so much better. Um, I've used AdWords, I think, uh, I was trying to figure this out the other day. I, I was a beta user, so it's been forever. Um, I sort of grew up in AdWords. AdWords was the first thing that showed me um, how effective systems theory could be when applied to digital marketing because it's a closed system that rewards excellence. 
Um, you know, the better you do with AdWords, the more you give Google users what they want, um, the lower your click cost, the more traffic that you get. So because it's a closed system, uh, my brain just responded to that. I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's a closed feedback loop where if I do well, I do well. Um, give me more of that. So that was really my introduction to what I would consider true digital marketing. So we are recording this podcast in uh, in 2018. And the reason why I mentioned this is because I hope that this episode, like many others I record, can be useful in five years, 10 years, and 50 years. And in this time frame of mind, we're going to try to frame this conversation uh, around that a bit. So in 2018, what is the state of automation in pay traffic? I think we're just starting to see... I don't know. I, I think I, I'm a big fan of Ray Kurzweil's work. You know, he's the guy who's written about the singularity. He's the head of, I don't even know what at Google now. He's very well known for his, um, his contributions to thinking around exponential technology, technological gain. We as creatures think in, in terms of linear gain. I do X, then I do Y, then I do Z, and I get incrementally better. Kurzweil has spent his life predicting the impact of technology. Um, his most, probably most famous one now is uh, looking at longevity research and saying that we're, we're essentially at a place where our life expectancy is about to outpace uh, the, the rate at which we age. Um, what makes Kurzweil so interesting is he's been right so many times. Um, so when you think about a tech curve, anytime, anytime you're, you're uh, in a tech, advancing technology, there is a, a very sharp incline at the base of the curve when change happens so rapidly once it starts to happen. So I believe we're at the base of the automation curve, meaning we're just seeing tools coming out that are taking a stab at um, doing the things that humans generally do for, to automate paid traffic campaigns. And some of those tools are very good. Um, we use them. We've used them for some of them for over a year, some for a few months. Uh, some of this is baked in already to Facebook and to AdWords. If you do CPA bidding on your cost per acquisition bidding on Google, you're using um, algorithmic tools. You just don't have access to the tools that Google does. Um, Facebook's dynamic creative optimization, you feed it in 30 variables, it creates 2,460 variations that you don't know what the variations are, and Facebook runs them and then optimizes them. Um, that's automation. Uh, and, and we've all been, you know, those of us in the agency world have been playing with this for a while. But what's coming, when we see where we are and we know we're at the base of the curve, what's coming we can't even comprehend. Um, I've seen a little taste of this uh, recently where once we start marrying automation tools to analytics tools and, and we create a, a feedback loop between those two things, the pace of change will be so fast that no human being will be able to keep up, period. That's just the nature of technology. That's where we're going. Um, and it's easy. It, a couple of things are easy. One, to dismiss it, say it's just not going to happen. Well, I can tell you it is going to happen. That's just the nature of, of where things are going. The other thing is to say, well, humans are always going to be necessary. Who's going to run the machines? Sure. Um, I think that's true. But if, if you own an agency right now, or if you are a very highly skilled contractor who specializes in a particular type of paid traffic, you need to be aware of this because your job is going to be very different in 12 to 18 months or it's not going to exist, period. That's just, that's reality. And I have no, to be clear, I have no uh, horse in this race. I, I don't, I'm not on the board of any automation tool company. I haven't invested in it. I just, this is just where things are going, I think. 
So you mentioned two examples of, of automation, like black box automation, where you don't control the machine, Google owns the, the black box, and you just take advantage of it. Can you share one or two other examples of, of automation tasks that are usually used in paid traffic? Yeah, that's a tool we've been using recently called RevealBot. RevealBot does Facebook, uh, automated Facebook optimization. Uh, Quaya does as well, to a lesser extent, different ways that they do it. Um, I think RevealBot is probably the, I consider RevealBot a, a rules engine. You, know, you feed it the rules and then it executes the rules with machine precision. So give me um, an example. Human, so let's, uh, let's say you have a Facebook ad and you want a 3% or greater click-through rate. You can set up a rule that says if this ad does not get a 3% grade or greater click-through rate in 72 hours, pause it automatically. Now, would a human being do that? Sure, absolutely. Um, but would a human being do that with uh, absolute dependable precision on the 72-hour mark, uh, 365 days a year? No. Is that a big deal? I don't know. But if you stack up... Uh, say each campaign you're running has five variables and um, a human being has an 80% success rate versus the machine, the math just gets in, it's so increasingly in the machine's favor because the machines are unemotional. They don't care. Uh, they don't have bad days. They don't miss opportunities. They don't, none of that is a factor. Uh, so from my perspective as an agency owner, I like to be able to say, well, here's here are a set of guidelines, sort of principle-level guidelines with which we manage our client accounts. And this is not the be-all and end-all, but this is the first 80% of optimization that I can depend on that somebody can set up in a rules engine in an hour and it runs dependably forever. The economics of that are incredible, absolutely incredible, unless you're the person who I was paying to do that last year then the economics are not so great. Then you need to be retrained to do something where you're adding value. It's really part of part of this discussion with automation is if something's able to do something better, why wouldn't we move the human component up, up the value stream, right? This is not, in my mind, this is not about me figuring out ways how to replace people. It's how to make people more valuable in a different spot in the value chain. That's my goal. And we're going to talk about that right now, right? Trying to, to lay the foundations of if you are working in paid traffic or touching on it or thinking about starting an agency or having an agency touching on paid traffic, PPC and all of that, how can you prepare yourself to be ready for this pace of change in the next one, two, five, 10, 50 years, right? And how can you be more strategic about the choices you make, the type of work you offer and how you get paid, right? So, but before that, I want to say, Sean, I was expecting to talk to a geek today and I think it's not a well, geek. I can geek out too. It's, I can. It's, I can see how you love and why you love pay traffic because it's like system, uh, a lot of numbers game, a lot of um, performance review, reviewing metrics and system thinking and all of that. I, it's great to hear uh, someone else's perspective on it. And, and it doesn't surprise me then why you were a beta user of, of AdWord and why uh, you've been using it uh, ever since, um, which is great. So going back to the, to the practical aspect of this podcast, um, we might scare people a bit you might have scared people a bit mentioning all of that, right? Which is fair because people are very afraid of change and they like comfort and, and, and whatnot. And it's difficult to predict the future, isn't it? So from your perspective, based on your experience, what do you think marketers and people involved in the pay traffic and the marketing world should do to prepare themselves? And maybe we try to break it down into actionable steps. That's a, that's a great question. Um, 
I mean, the first thing, I, I believe in principles versus tactics. So if you understand the principles of marketing, uh, then really sky's the limit. Then any change that happens, you can just sort of change your worldview and, and, and integrate whatever the tactics. The tactics have changed for the last 20 years. I mean, I've watched all manner of things come and go. Um, but the principles have never changed, ever. And, and I suspect they won't. That's why they're principles. Um, so I think the first thing that I would do if, if I were coming into this game um, or if I had been in it for a while, I would see if I could step back to the 30,000 feet, 50,000 feet and really ask myself, what is it I'm, I'm really trying to do here? Uh, not just me, myself, but on behalf of my clients. What, what's really happening here? And understand that because if you, if you want to feed a, uh, a rules engine data and rules and create those, you have to know what it is you're trying to accomplish. And if you haven't taken 30 seconds to step back and ask yourself, what's really going on here? Uh, you have no idea. You can't create rules to for sort of, you know, wandering generalities. Uh, is that Thoreau or Emerson? I don't know. I'll get it wrong. One of them. Meaningful specific versus wandering generality, right? So I don't know. I, I probably misquoted so, both so of them. Can um, you define <laughs> Can you define principle versus tactic for me, and maybe give an example of each so that people understand the distinction? Sure. So ta I'll start with tactics. You know, a tactic is the thing you do right now that works to get the result. So it might be the latest and greatest trick um, of how to exploit some overlooked feature in Facebook allows you to get away with something for 72 hours and everybody sells those tactics. You know, the never before secret to do X. Um, the funny thing is when somebody sells that stuff, uh, it's already stopped working. That's why they're selling it. Uh, but anyway, I won't go on that rant. Um, principles are those things that are tried and true that they, they never, um, they're that underlying structure of the world, right? So, uh, here's a principle that I use in my business. I've, I've stolen this from, uh, not stolen, I've borrowed with enthusiasm from uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, his business partner. I think of what I do is very similar to what they do. They're, you know, they're, they're trading, they're investing dollars. I'm investing my clients' dollars um, to get a numerically positive result. So there are lots of crossover between paid traffic and investing. So one of Munger, uh, Buffett and Munger's principles is that it's not about being innovative, it's about avoiding big mistakes, right? And this is one that I live by. I, d I am not the most innovative person in the world in this space. Like if you came up to me and said, hey, did you hear that thing that's just, and I hate this phrase, crushing it and X, Y, Z, and I, I most likely I haven't and most likely I don't care. Um, and I'm not on the cutting edge of the tactics that are, that are just working so well today. Um, I get, I'm going to say 90%. It's probably an exaggeration. Most of the value that I provide to my clients is making sure that they don't make stupid mistakes. Um, and if you avoid all, and, and the best analogy is exercise, right? If you're just going to the gym every day, you're a CrossFitter, you're just absolutely out of your mind at the gym. And, and when you leave the gym, you stuff six donuts down your, your throat. You can't out-exercise six donuts, right? That's, that's a fundamental mistake you can't outdo. So no matter how great you are in the gym, you're not going to get ahead of that mistake. And I see this happen all the time. If somebody is doing something, they'll take over an account and there's one thing that's incredibly innovative and that's all they focused on. And there are 50 things that are stupid mistakes. And that one thing can never outpace the 50. Um, you know, classic example, I'll just, because like, everyone always asks me, what's, give me an example of a great mistake. Um, 
Retargeting everybody who visits a site is a classic mistake, and everybody does this. Uh, put a couple of rules in. Make sure somebody stays longer than 10 seconds or sees two pages, anything. Don't retarget everybody because 80% generally of people who visit a site, they're not there for the long haul. They're, you know, I say 80 because it's just the 80 20 sort of shows up in that regard. But people vote with their behavior. And when somebody comes in and is like, nope, sorry, wrong place, I'm out, and you're spending money to retarget them over and over and over again, you're wasting money. Stop doing that. Like that's to me, if you, if you stop making that one mistake, you're recapturing 50, 60, 80% of your budget for retargeting in one stroke. Easy. Um, that's to me is a principle of don't make dumb mistakes. All right. I, this is such a good answer that I want to spend more time on this. So give me another example of principle that you live by. Well, I have a whole document of principles that I live by, but we probably don't want that one. No, um, pick an, no, 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 not the personal one, please. Uh, no, but pick, let's well, say... Those are pretty good, too. Another principle of yours, another one that you enjoy because it's linked to the business and stuff, because this one was really, really interesting to hear. Okay, so I'll give you my sort of three legs of the stool, right? So one big leg of the stool is the 80-20 principle that we've... we've and two of them are very similar, so I'll just give you all three. There's no fourth, by the way. You can't go to my site and buy the fourth one. This is all of them. I'm going to tell you everything I know, and that's it. So one layer of the stool is 80-20. I don't mean the high-level Tim Ferriss, let's spend five minutes on this, and I think we've got a view of, of 80-20. And no no disrespect to Tim Ferriss. I just I, I don't like the, the cursory approach to things. 80-20 um, is a mathematical power law, and it affects everything. And it affects things in ways that if you internalize, you really get them. And here's here's a, a classic one. And any large um, number, you know, thousand plus, ten thousand uh, grouping, the overwhelming majority of people there are not even willing to give you their attention. Um, so if you are if you have a thousand people come to your site and twenty percent of them have opted in for whatever you're offering a newsletter, a podcast, a lead magnet, um, don't be disappointed with that because the other eighty percent are never even going to give you their time and it's, it's, at all. That's just a mathematical power law. So the first leg of the stool is recognizing that and recognizing that most of the time you're really only looking at 20% of an audience. And within that 20%, there's an, another power curve that there's a tiny minority that will drive most of the action. When you start understanding that, you stop trying to please everybody. You start trying to go find that minority of people. Um, second leg of the stool is Ellie Goldratt's theory of constraints. Um, I have spent probably more time than I want to admit trying to really internalize what Goldratt was talking about. It's systems theory, but it's so much more. But really, it comes down to this idea that trying to optimize local optima is not the way to get the system optimum, that there is generally one and only one thing that's slowing everything down. And if you spend your time monkeying around with everything else, you're wasting your time. Uh, you know, and I see this happen all the time. Someone's like, but we're trying to move, you know, click-through rate isn't good, and this isn't good, and this isn't good, and they're doing 10 things. And let's just assume that the goal is lead generation. You know, you've got a, a lead magnet or something you're, for download. Uh, my question is very simple. What's the opt-in rate? Oh, well, it's X. Well, until it's not until it's 20% or greater, we don't do anything else. Everything is focused on that. Instead of monkeying around, well, well, maybe if we drove more traffic that converted just as poorly, that would help. It makes no sense. There's one and only one thing holding you back right now. Find that thing, put all of your energy and attention on it, and then move on to the next thing because that thing will keep moving. So that's the second leg of the stool. And you know, 
theory of constraints you could spend decades studying. Um, ask me how I know. And then the third leg of the stool is an unsung American hero named John Boyd, um, who was a fighter pilot, probably the greatest strategic thinker this country's ever produced and one of the greatest strategic thinkers of all time. Um, there's a great article at The Art of Manliness on his one of his singular contributions to humanity, which is the OODA loop. Um, he was a fighter pilot, and he had this thing where if he would start with um, he would have any air to air engagement with any fighter pilot where they started at his six o'clock position, and in sixty seconds he'd switch. And to do that, he developed what he called this OODA loop. It's a four part process. He said human beings go through all the time. We observe, we orient, we decide, and we act. Um, I don't know why that resonated me with me the way it did, but when I realized that paid traffic is a closed system. And that if I could cycle faster than my competitors, they could never catch me. And that's part of what Boyd was talking about. And that's Boyd was the architect between uh, behind the 91 U.S. invasion of Iraq. It's one of the reasons it was so overwhelmingly successful militarily. Um, he had this idea that if you could get what he called inside your opponent's decision cycle. So let's just use an example. Let's say that you and I are competitors and I'm watching or, or you're looking at data twice a week and making one decision based on that data. And I'm looking at data five times a week and I'm making deci one decision every time I look at that data. I am, my pace is two and a half times faster than yours. And at some point you can't ever catch me. I'm just cycling. I am inside your decision cycle. So those three things really if I, if I had to point to three things and say, these are the three things that have made my business successful uh, from almost two decades, I'm two months away from two decades. Um, those three things are it, that it's a closed system that rewards excellence and that I'm willing to make, to cycle faster than whoever I'm competing against. And at some point they can't ever catch me. When I say me, it's the Imperial way. It's my clients. Um, that's really it. And we focus only on the things that matter. Yeah. So long answer to a short question, but those are three uh, if if there were three principles I could give away to the world, those would be the three. Absolutely. What an answer! What an answer! And I would recommend people to 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 listen to uh, the talk from Elon Musk about uh, first principles and all of the the philosophical work about first principles as well, because this is exactly why I started this podcast, and this is what I'm trying to get to every time. This is why I ask, you know, what can you do right now that'll still be relevant in five, ten, fifty years? Because Asking this question forces you to think in terms of principles and not shitty tactics that won't work in two weeks, right? And it <laughs> probably don't work now. And don't work now. Because as you said, if you're selling, if you're talking about this tactic now and selling it, then it's, it's not working anymore. Um, so it sounds like the first step of this process to prepare for the future, regardless of what's going to happen, is to take a step back and focus on first principles, right? Absolutely. So. Do you have any resources to share? Usually I ask, I ask that at the end, but it's such an interesting topic. Do you have any resources to share other than the one you mentioned about principles and how to, how to, how to select principles to, to focus on in the marketing world? Oh, that's a good question. That's a hard question. Shane, I can't remember his last name. Farnham Street blog. He's got some great thinking tools. Why can't I think of his name? He has some really good thinking tools that I, I might start there. It's not marketing specific, but there, at least from a mental models perspective, you, you need some place to start to have kind of an architecture that you can wrap things around. Um, I like the term scaffolding. I think one of the reasons that um, I've had the success that I've had is that I've built over time this kind of mental scaffolding of ideas 
um, that. So when I hear something, I kind of, I know where to put it and I, I know what it relates to. And, um, and there's no fast track to that. Like some, somebody asked me one time, I had this conversation. They were like, well, could you recommend a book to learn that? I'm like, uh, I could recommend about 500. I mean, that's, that's really the answer. Um, as I look at my bookshelves all around me, uh, so it's, this is something that nobody wants to talk about in our, you know, 997 become an expert in 60 day culture is that this is hard and it requires work and effort. Um, you know, our mutual friend, uh, Andre Chaperon, uh, I think Andre is gifted, uh, absolutely gifted. One of the most talented human beings I've ever met. And he will say something in passing or write a comment somewhere to somebody who's asked a question that is so profoundly good. And, and I always have this thought, like, how, you know, how did he write that in five minutes? I'm like, oh, because he spent the last 20 years working to know how to answer that question in five minutes. Right. Um, so that's really the first thing that I would share is that be prepared to do the work. Um, you know, there, there are shortcuts. Um, you, you had, you know, probably the, the greatest guest of all time for the, to get there faster on your podcast is Seth Godin. Um, Seth has Seth, like we're friends. I don't know Seth Godin, to be clear. Um, he just seems like such an approachable first name kind of guy. So yeah. Seth has done the work to package up the principles. Uh, you go to Udemy, you can get sort of condensed versions of it. Um, he, has, he has some that are showstoppers. I mean, his first 10 blog post is probably the greatest business advice of all time in like under 500 words. Uh, you know, and if, if you're not willing to go do that work, I don't, I don't know... Like I don't, I don't sell easy. You know, I don't, it, it, it's just not who I am. And I don't try to pretend. I mean, things that are worth doing, they require time, energy, and dollars. You can shortcut stuff. Absolutely, you can. There are some. There's some great training products out there for specific things. Uh, but at a principle level, I think if I if I had to start over, knowing what I know, like if I could leave a note for myself to say, and, and all my memory was going to be gone, and I wanted to do this, be back in this field, how would I get there the fastest? Um, I think I would leave myself a note that would be like every resource I've ever read by Seth Godin and like, just go read that because he spent a lifetime honing this. Uh, so it should be good. His podcast with you was excellent too. Like that's, that is, that's PhD, MBA level thinking in an hour that probably could save somebody a decade. So start with Seth. That's my answer. Final answer. To go back to principles, there's another another thing I want to say. So I have a few, and I am I I haven't I, I don't have them written down. I should have prepared that. But there's one that I constantly remind myself of. Of uh, last week, someone reached out to me and asked me, "I work in this industry. I don't remember which one. Do you think influencer marketing would work for me?" And I've recorded a small video to answer my answer to answer the question. And I I basically told uh, this person. Think about the principle behind influencer marketing. It's just a shitty world to talk about building relationships with others. You know, it's just a shitty world to talk about when someone you know has other people they know, they will trust if they trust this person because they're friends, they have connections. If they, this person says, I think this product is good, you are more likely to buy it. You're going to trust this person. That's how it works. And asking me whether you know, if someone will recommend this product and whether it will work, it's just questioning the first principles of how humans interact with each other. So obviously it will work if you do it the right way, if you connect with the right people, if you build genuine relationship, if you're patient and all of that. So that's one that I wanted to share to go back. And the, the, another one that I like to say is very simple as well. It's not that smart. It's just about 
people uh, hate to be uh, sold to and they love to buy, right? And that when you when you think about it this way, it's also uh, easier to think about marketing. But um, I love I love that you started this this answer by talking about first principle instead of thinking of technology or automation because that's what I'm trying to fight for in this podcast a lot. So moving on to maybe step three because you mentioned think in terms of first principles, decide of the principle that will govern your life or that governs marketing, that governs humans. And the second thing you said is like, put the work. It's not going to happen overnight, right? So I would say those are the the two first steps. And you mentioned Seth Godin and checking out his blog post. So now we are at a place where, okay, we've looked up in terms of what are the first principles. We look at, we understand now that we need to fucking do the work. We can't really avoid that. So what is the third step, maybe going more granular into the paid traffic world, the marketing world? How do you cope with this radical change that is going to come up? Yeah, so this is, I, I say this to my clients a lot. I say this to my employees a lot. Um, I probably say this to more people that want to hear it a lot. But if you can't draw on a piece of paper with a crayon how things that you're trying to do work, you don't understand it. So... To me, this, the third step is, it, it's just a, from my perspective as an agency owner, if I can't sit down and listen to you and have you explain to me how your business works and in an hour or two, take out a crayon and a post-it and draw something that's kind of like, is it like this? Then I don't understand it and I shouldn't be doing anything with it until I understand it. Yet, I can't tell you the number of times I've either been on a team, um, brought in uh, you know, a launch or something where nobody knows how the thing works. Like nobody, the owner doesn't know how it works. So the owner has, you know, offloaded that to the, you know, the, the launch expert they hired and the launch expert went through the course, but doesn't really understand the business. Like, and everybody's kind of looking at it. And I come in and I'm like, well, how, how does this thing make money? Like, what's the thing that happens that, or assuming it's to make money, well, what's the thing that happens that indicates success? Well, somebody buys. Oh, okay. What did they do before that? And then they kind of smear together some answer. I'm like, oh, no, wait. Like, what, what has to happen? Like, I just, and I tell people this all the time. I say, you tell it to me like I'm a third grader. Like, really, explain your business to me like a third grader. And if they can't, they don't understand it. Um, and so that sounds overly simplistic. But to me, this is the secret sauce. Like, if you can't figure out the six steps to success in a venture, you know, like, see an ad, see a landing page, opt in, read a really interesting story, find out later there's a product to buy, buy it. (laughs) If you can't have that conversation with that level of clarity, something is horribly wrong. Yet, I would say eight out of 10 people that I, at first conversation, haven't done that. Because if you can't do that, then you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Like if I don't know that, my job with the ad, first and foremost, is to stop the scroll. Like that's the number one job of an ad on Facebook is to stop the user from scrolling past it. And that when and then I have to make sure that I've put the person is both the right person and they're in the right frame of mind when they click. Meaning I haven't shown them something that's valuable to people who are like them, but also not like them, because I want more traffic, I want more clicks. Like I can make that, that's, a, that's another fundamental mistake just to go broad, you know, add that to the list and make the targeting so broad that you get a really uh, false positive first response. Like if I don't know that, if I don't know the whole point of getting that click is to get a lead, 
then I will do the dumbest stuff in the world to get a lot of clicks that charge that cost a lot of money that don't get me a lot of leads. Like it's a, it's a, the most fundamental mistake. And yeah, and I ask this over and over: Why are you doing what you're doing? I want somebody to click on the ad. No, you don't. I want somebody to buy. Oh, right. I want somebody to buy eventually. Great. So why are you trying to appeal to an audience where overwhelmingly the people you've included are not inclined to buy? Why not, especially with Facebook, why not make a basket of people who are so likely to buy that you've stacked the deck in your favor? And instead, people come back, oh, we have an audience of 6 million. That sounds stupid. Are there 6 million people on the planet who would buy what you would offer? Probably not. Probably 60,000. Why not go find them? And it just, it makes no sense to me. So that, to me, that that level of understanding is critical. Uh, and I very rarely see people do the work to say, I understand your business enough that I could run it like it's my own. And that's really what I'm, I'm always interested in is if I woke up tomorrow knowing what I know, owning your business, is this the decision that I would make? Yes or no? And if my answer is no, um, I better get my head out of my ass and, and change a few things long answer to a short question <laughs> like always in this show um and another thing i want to mention here is that is you're mentioning facebook as an example obviously let's say if facebook by any miracle in five years disappear the principles that you mentioned are the same meaning why on earth are you trying to sell to someone who's never heard of your business before and expect a sale like this straight away, you know, out of the blue? Like, why don't you build a relationship with this person with starting with, you know, a, a small video explaining what you do or focusing on the problem, another longer video once they view the first one and take the time to sell, right? Because once again, people hate to be sold to and they love to buy. You just take the time. And so what you mentioned about Facebook works for anything else. And I, in my opinion, I'm not an expert as you are, but in my opinion, this is probably one of the biggest mistakes I see happening online all the time. It's like, why are you in a rush that much? Take your time. Yeah, the rush to monetization is fascinating to me. Like, how fast can we get that dollar from you? Because I mean, if, I made a, if, I, if I presented you with a, an offer, said, okay, I will give you $5 in the next five minutes, or I will give you 500 over the next year. You're not going to choose $5 in five minutes unless you're starving. Yet, I see that decision made that way all the time. And I get it. If you get a list of buyers, you're more likely later. And I understand that. I know all the economics. But the reality is uh, you're going to turn off a lot of people if you're hammering the sale early or disguising the sale early. You know, how many you know funnels have we seen that it's a contest or a um, a quiz? You know, what type of X are you? And at the end you get to opt in to find out to get hammered with junk for the next however long, right? So, you know, does it work? It, if it didn't work, people wouldn't be doing it. So um, is it the way I want to run a business? No, I, I really don't. So yeah, and from a principal's perspective, to, to further your point, anything on time, I'll use Facebook and Google as, as references just because that's, you know, I've managed tens of millions of dollars between them. Um, but any any source of traffic anywhere, these the rules are the same. You know, these are just two of the, the big players. If you want to go do you know, niche-specific CPA networks, same idea. Uh, if you want to go you know, publish a really high-quality article on Medium, uh, same idea. 
right? You know, for me, it's it's about leading with value, connecting with the people who you actually can contribute to, um, establishing that relationship somehow in a way that's that's as authentic as it can possibly be, and then see what see where it goes. Like I, I don't know how to engineer success uh, differently. I guess is how I put it. Like it's, um, I'm, I say a lot. I'm a better editor than a writer. Meaning that you know, if, if you show me your business, I can do a lot more with that than if you put me in a room and it's like, hey, make up a business. Mm, not as good at that. Um, so it's easier for me to look at what somebody else is doing and say, okay, I know how to structure this in a way that can be successful, um, and find the value and share that value. And then when people raise their hand, having responded to that value, to have a deeper conversation with them, that's very easy to do. Um, but to just say everybody gets everything all the time as fast as I can puke it on them, yeah, that's not my game. So as a marketer, as an agency owner, as someone who is thinking of getting into pay traffic, um, how do I move from from the menial task of like doing a few, you know, tasks in AdWords, moving on to Facebook and all to like the creativity, the strategy side, how do I move up a layer so that I don't lose my job or I don't become redundant? This is a great question. Um, the one thing I don't think the machines are ever going to be able to do two things. I don't think they're ever going to be able to do as well as humans, unless they just do it with brute force, um, is craft an expression of an offer. Well, in a way that's interesting. Um, and frame the the expression of that offer in a way that's interesting. Like those are two highly meta level conceptual things that human beings know how to do. Um, and if, I don't see the machines doing that. So I think learning community, you know, basic communication skills, uh, you know, reading Cialdini stuff certainly. Um, I might read Robert Greene's stuff on power as well, just because there's some intellectually interesting things there. Neil Strauss has written some really interesting stuff on framing and pre-framing. Um, when he wrote the book, The Game, I guess a lot of the pickup artist scene is about framing, which is an interesting concept. Um, that's that's meta-level stuff. The machines, the machines aren't going to figure that out. So if I were coming into, if, let's just say for the sake of argument that... Um, I woke up tomorrow and I wanted to just, just go do Facebook. I didn't really have any experience and I wanted to learn how to do, we'll just choose Facebook. Um, I want to become a Facebook marketing specialist. Um, I, sure, I have to learn the mechanics. Um, really, you know, there's some basics, our audience targeting and getting that right, sort of ideal audience sizes. I, I need to know the rules of the, of the game I'm playing at a fundamental level know where the edges are. But what I really need to be able to do is to craft a message that's intriguing to the person that I care about reaching. Um, and a machine's really not going to do that for me. They Again, we can brute force it. And that's what dynamic creative optimization is. You know, 30 different variables, 2,460 com potential combinations, just hammer a large audience with variables to see what wins. Okay. Um, but even then, somebody has to write the headlines. Somebody has to write the body copy. Somebody has to choose the images and have that sense. Machines aren't going to do that, um, I don't think. So I would spend my time there. How can I craft uh, an expression of the idea? Because and this, you know, this is the number nobody talks about outside the direct response world, um, especially when they're selling something about direct response. 80% of all offers fail. Everybody knows that. 80% fail. Not 80% of products fail. The offer is the expression of the product. 80% of the offers fail. So you need to get pretty good at writing offers I mean, and to, to articulating offers. And it could be written, could be ver a verbal, could be video. Uh, but we're not going to find a machine tomorrow. Or I don't even think 
50 years from now that does that as well as a human being does to really think what's valuable here? Who's it valuable to? How is it valuable? What's the external pain that they have that makes this valuable? What's the internal manifestation, the emotional tug that that creates? Machines aren't going to do that. Human beings are uniquely qualified to do that. Um, And I think that's where we can do so much better than we have been doing. Let the machines do the, the work that they do. That's fine. Let's all of us start locking ourselves in rooms, trying to come up with the best expressions of things that actually matter for our fellow human beings and figuring out interesting ways to share those with each other. Machines can do everything else. Another another point on that related to the strategy side is uh, something I remember from uh, from a guest that I've interviewed, and I'm going to forget his name, no, David Baker, and he talked about the concept of if you're an agency owner or freelancer or consultant, try to be paid to think not to do. And that stuck with me because that's exactly what I used to do in my consulting business. I used to be paid to do stuff and never really to think. And if you really remove the layers after layers, you know, what you should really be paid to do is to think, because as you said, it's very unlikely that machines can perform this super meta, super complex task, such as thinking about your users and like interviewing them to extract what triggers them, the emotions. It's so in depth that it's almost, it's very difficult to foresee machines doing that as well as we are. And so therefore, if you own a PPC agency, maybe you should stop charging for this automation, the reporting or whatever, because it's just the menial task that a machine can do. And maybe you should start charging for understanding what problems you're trying to solve in the business, understanding what type of offer you should get started, understanding how to build the right funnel based on the challenges that the, the company is facing and all of those questions, right? And it's, there's a great story. I've heard it expressed this way. Company X has this machine that, you know, their whole company depends on it. Machine breaks down. There's one guy in the world that knows how to fix them. They fly him in. He takes out a screwdriver. He turns one screw and the machine's back up and running. Um, and he sends an invoice, you know, fixed machine, $10,000. Uh, CEO looks at the invoice, thinks it seems like a lot, sends it back to him and says, would you mind, um, doing this as a line item invoice for additional detail. The guy sends it back and it says, you know, one screwdriver, $10, knowing where to put t- screwdriver, $9,990. So like, like that's the game here. You know, anybody can go, and I see this here, my Facebook feed's full of it. Anybody can start an agency tomorrow. Um, anybody can, you know, write the lead magnet about five ways to grow your agency. Anybody can do all of that stuff. But the number of people who've been doing it for a couple of decades, that's a, not a lot. So it's one of those things, you know, you, I look around and I see like, sure, this, the barrier to entry here is pretty low. There's not a, well, there isn't a good feedback loop in this business to weed out um, the, the low performers. You know, a lot of fields have that. Athletics have that, right? If you're not, <laughs> if you're not a great football player, you're probably not playing for the Patriots kind of thing like that. that there's a self correcting mechanism in there um there are plenty of people willing to pay low dollar rates for really bad work so there's always going to be a subset of people who don't do work very well years ago um <laughs> i had a client who um fired us not fired but moved from us to someone and i went and looked at their site and they no joke um they did landing page design and dog walking 
<laughs> I was like, there it is, right? I've lost to someone who does, <laughs> this was a long time ago, landing page design and dog walking. <laughs> like, what, how, how much lower do I go? Oh, uh, a nice offer. So, yeah. So it was, yeah, it's, it's, it was good. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm curious to know. I'm curious to know, uh, like, as you said, you mentioned, you know, buyer to entry to create an agency is, is, is zero at this stage. You buy a domain name, you get it for free from GoDaddy, you have your laptop, you can start an agency tomorrow. Uh, but you said there are not a lot of people who have, um, who have run an agency for 20 years or almost 20 years like you've been doing, and which is why I mentioned it in the intro. So to move from the tactical, the practical things we've been talking about to, to it yourself, if you can pinpoint one event that summarizes who you are, because that takes some guts to have one business to run it for 20 years. It takes some guts to focus on those first principles and say no to a lot of the bullshit out there. It takes some guts to do all of that, right? So if you can choose one event that made you who you are today, that summarizes your personality, what would it be? So I wasn't supposed to do this, right? There, there was a very clear defining event. Yeah, I went to graduate school for, I have a master's degree in international relations. I was living in DC, um, traveling all over the world, traveling all over the Middle East. Uh, really, that's, that's what I was supposed to be doing. I um, got a call in November. Uh, my father was diagnosed in the summer of 1998 with uh, stage three lung cancer, did chemotherapy. Um, I didn't really understand cancer at the time. It was stage three and he's going to have some treatment and, Okay. I mean, looking back, you know, my memory is not great of it, but looking back, it was, it, it didn't, it wasn't overwhelming. Uh, November 3rd, 1998, got the call. I was at work in DC, got the call. Um, it's not stage three, it's stage four, it's terminal. You, you know, might have weeks, maybe a month. Uh, you need to come home. So arrived home the next day. Uh, my father, uh, was a lifelong martial artist, uh, black belt in Taekwondo. He had intended to go to Korea the following summer to get his uh, eighth degree black belt in Korea, which would, uh, at the time, would have made him one of two uh, non-Koreans in the world to ever have had that happen. So I came home expecting to say goodbye. And, you know, he, my father had something he wanted to do. So he did the radiation, got better, did the chemo, and know that the chemo had any impact, but the condensed version of the story is that um, he lived until the following August. He went to Korea. He got his eighth degree black belt. In the interim, um, I had to make a decision. Uh, you know, am I going to go back to D.C. and or am I going to come back home? So when my mother was here and with the writing was on the wall, stage four lung cancer is terminal, overwhelmingly. So he was going to be gone. So I made that decision to come home. Um, I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I had, you know, savings from when I was working in DC, not a lot, uh, bought a house, had to be successful on day one. Um, and was just sort of in our, the business started with design build work. We've done about 450 design build projects for, you know, big name places like the Guggenheim museum and uh, the government of Kuwait and Nestle Purina and tons of smaller ones. Um, that's what we did for a long time when there was money to be made in that world. That's kind of a different world now. I was too, this is probably the turning point, which is to me is hysterical in retrospect. I was too dumb at the time not to realize that design, build, and marketing were separate. So every time we did a project, I just, it just kills me looking back. This is probably the real, this is the, the honest answer. This is how dumb I was that we would do a design build project, but I would look at it and say, well, okay, we built you this 1500 skew e-commerce store. 
uh, you probably need traffic for that. So then I would go out and you know, learn how to do AdWords or learn whatever was happening at the time or you know, organic SEO for a long period of time. Like I would just go out and learn it and then do it for the client. And that was just part of what we did. I just assumed that's what you did. And it wasn't, this is so embarrassing. It wasn't until 2008 when I had a conversation, and I remember this so clearly, I had a conversation with a colleague at a conference and we were talking about our respective businesses and he had, he partnered with a marketing agency. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we do the design build work, but we obviously don't do the, you know, the marketing work. I'm like, what? what? It, it, it just it baffled me that you wouldn't, that, that it baffled me that you would build somebody an asset that can make them money and then not not use the asset to make money for them. That to me was, and I, it's just so funny now because that world is so bifurcated. It's very rare that you do design, build, and marketing. Um, and I just I was too dumb to know that. So that's probably what uh, changed the trajectory for me because by the time you know 2010 2012 rolled around, when the money that was to be made in this world was to be made on the marketing side, I'd been doing it for ten years by then already, and, and understood all parts of it. I understood what it meant to design and build something that could then become an asset, but I also knew how to then take that and generate money with it. Um, so I, I'd love to tell you that I did that on purpose because I was so smart, but the reality is I was so dumb and I got so lucky um, that when it became really important, I had a decade of experience under my belt, which <laughs> was a total accident. So there's the harsh reality of how smart I am. I appreciate your honesty and, and thanks for, for sharing your story as well. It's nice to hear where you're from, where you're coming from, from a business perspective. It always adds a lot of context to the, to the answer. Sean, you've been great, more than great. Actually, you've talked about a lot of things I wasn't expecting you to talk about, which is always kind of happening with, with great guests uh, like yourself. But before we stop this episode, I have three questions I always ask my guests. The first one we touched on already, but I think you might have some additional thoughts to it. What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 5, 10, 50 years? I think we have to figure out as a group how to lead with value. Right? The, the, the systems, consumer systems now are just too sophisticated and people are too sick and tired of being sold at every level. People don't like to buy cars. People don't... And every industry is changing to reflect that. Like consumers, we're, we're as consumers, we're driving the train. And the, the more people, the more marketers fight that and try to be in an antagonistic relationship with, with consumers, the, the, more, the more difficult the battle is. For me, the future of marketing is to lead with value, period. Um, you know, I, the example that I think of a lot, it's somebody that I've, I've bought so much stuff from them that I don't need. Um, and partly it's just because I, I, I love the brand, which is a company called GoRuck. Um, you know, GoRuck is, they make, uh, special forces grade American made gear, like backpacks and bags and all this other stuff. Um, I don't need special forces grade backpack. I really don't. I certainly don't need two of them. Um, I have five, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> um, I've spent thousands with GoRuck. Um, they have never tried to sell me once they put it all out on the line here's our product here's how it's made super detailed um, here's why it's made this way here's the, the founder's story it's it's right out there it's and i look at that and i think to myself uh, i want to be i want to have some connection to that you know and, and i think the more sophisticated 
consumers get, the more valuable that's going to be and the more specialized it's going to be because, you know, everybody is one click away from your competitor all the time. And if they don't like the bullshit that you're doing and your competitor's not doing it, they're one click away. Conversely, if your competitor is doing it, you're one click away, right? That to me is, I don't know, that's, that's the principle I would like to live the rest of my professional career by is to lead with value. So maybe connecting to this answer, what are the top three resources you would recommend listeners today? And you mentioned a lot of them throughout your answers, but if you had to pinpoint the top three, what would they be? Oh, this is so hard. Like massive consumer of information. Um, I've noticed. I'm going to limit this to digital marketers so that I give myself a little room. Um, I would start with uh, Seth Godin's marketing seminar. Is if you if you can if you can afford the marketing seminar, do it. If you um, if that's more money than you want to spend, Udemy has a condensed version where Seth does like the, the short version of the marketing seminar. It's a couple hundred bucks and worth three or four thousand times that. Like I, that's. I would start there to orient myself to what marketing really is all about. Uh, as a digital marketer, uh, I would the, the next place I would go, and he's a friend, you know, sort of full disclosure, he's a dear friend of mine. Um, but if I were going to do digital marketing and wanted to follow one person, um, I would go look and see what Andre Chaperon has done. Um, he's he is he has more integrity than the next thousand people um, that I know in this world, and he's just he's transparent. He's a decent human being who happens to also be ridiculously smart and gets it gets the game will explain the game to you and will show you how to play the game the right way third thing that i would do um, i would this is actually i didn't expect to say this one um, the third thing that i would do is i would buy the book um, value proposition design and i would really go deep to learn how to create a value proposition canvas um, i teach entrepreneurship at a vermont technical college um, I've used value proposition design canvas. It is the single most effective tool that, that teaches students entrepreneurship um, as a framework. Like it, and that tool allows them to really understand how you connect the needs of a market to a product and how you refine that messaging. And, and like, it, it's just, it's such an elegant tool. Um, and you can actually, you don't have to pay a dime. You can buy the book or if you go to strategizer.com, it's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-Y-Z-E-R.com. They have free training on how to do uh, a couple hours, a uh, couple uh, one hour webinars. They have great PDFs with question prompts for each part of it. Um, massive education in how to create a valuable or to connect an audience and a value proposition together for free. Like those are the three resources I'd recommend most. Pretty good answer, I have to say. Sean, thank you so much once again for your time. I think listeners will get a lot of value from, from your, your thinking about principles, about your thinking towards like future automa automation, how to deal with it, all the resources you mentioned throughout the episode. So like you've been absolutely fantastic and I mean it. The last question then, I'm sure a lot of people would like to follow up with you, but where can listeners connect with you and learn more from you? So this, <laughs> I'm gonna give you two things. Uh, I have the most ridiculous website in the history of humankind, which the irony is not lost on me. It's myname.com. So S-H-A-W-N-T-W-I-N-G.com. Uh, it is literally text. Uh, there's, there's, you can't buy anything. <laughs> you can't, it's so ridiculous. Um, but I, what I've tried to do is put into some sort of concise format, sort of who I am and what I do, who I can help and who I can't help, you know, walk my, my, my walk. Um, 
Beyond that, if someone wants to reach out to me directly, my personal email address is stwing, S-T-W-I-N-G at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, fire away if it's, you know, how do I become a better marketer? Uh, watch your podcast is my answer. You don't have to send me that or listen to your podcast that you don't have to send me that question. Um, but, you know, happy to reach out, connect with people. You know, the thing I, the, the one caveat I will always offer is, I mean, I can only tell you my experience. There are people who have different experience out there with a different opinion. And, and am I right? Or are they right? Everybody's right. Everybody's wrong. You know, I can share what I think makes sense from my own experience, but it, that's all it is. It's one, you know, an N of one, one person's opinion. Um, the, what I bring, probably bring to the table more than anybody else is that if, if there's a mistake to be made, I've made it and I can tell you how not to make it. That might be the greatest value that I can offer right there. <laughs> I think it is. Uh, Sean, once again, thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet. And we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. 
And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.